Founders face mentors and masters. I'm Captain Hoff, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. I am here today with Dan Kirby, co-founder of the tech department and host of Honey, I Blew Up My Business. Dan is going to talk to us today about how he personally blew up his own business. Dan, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Really good to see you. It was wonderful talking to you last time, appearing on your podcast. It's great to have you a guest. You have a fantastic story about your own startup, the travails you went through, and what you learned. Can you go, go back in time, tell us the vision for your startup, what you, what you got you going, and then what obstacles came in the way of your success? Well, yeah, I mean, it's been quite a long story now. I've been 20 years as a founder, and my company, the tech department, was born actually in 2004. And we originally had a software product we were building. But then after about two or three years, it never really took off. And we were kind of never making any money. So we And pivoted. what product was that? Oh, it was, an e it was an email marketing software product. We, by the way, this is pre-cloud. So this is email marketing software before um, you know, any kind of, kind of campaign monitor or anything like that's happening. This is installed on your desktop. A computer and you could send out targeted graphical personalized emails from your desktop and we were selling those to uh, that software to big companies corporate businesses and what stopped you so like a lot of startups have to pivot you know we all run into trouble now and then we go down one path we find out it's a dead end what stopped you well i mean it was well a couple of things one was um spam filters <laughs> was the big one and um, because you know but it was a bit of a wild west in the early noughties where you could send out emails to anybody and everybody would re receive them and then suddenly people weren't receiving them then there was lots of issues to do with internal firewalls then things started to move to the cloud and frankly we just didn't have the the funding to continue to stay ahead of the technology curve and the shift of, of security really um, and so we were kind of running to stand still and it became apparent that we really couldn't make this. So fly. companies like Mailchimp ate your lunch and Constant Contact. They kind of yeah, took over the market. One hundred percent. It was and suddenly it was like we were this little squishy little business doing pretty well at one point, and then it was like this isn't going to work. This is so, so you had to throw in the towel, all that hard work down the drain. You pivoted. Where did you go? Yeah, well, and it was quite a moment actually because it took a little bit of humble pie eating to kind of accept that we needed to, to pivot. This is the hardest thing most entrepreneurs do is to pivot because you've invested a huge chunk of your life, a lot of money and a lot of time into this product and to just throw it out. And I'm sure you had revenue. So did you just cut it off cold and or did you let it taper away? How did you do it? Well, it kind of tapered away, but we we pivoted. So, so the company is called the tech department because what we uh, well we changed our name at that point, but we became in effect a technology department for other businesses. For, for, and we had a specialist area in in technology innovation because you had these relate. So let's talk about this. You had these relationships with big corporates because you were mm -hmm. selling them your software. So basically, you leveraged those relationships into your next business. Is that yeah. right? That's right. And, and actually, we what we did was, and, and as a sort of a, 
we had extended it actually so we had a um my background is in in brand design so i'm actually not a techie although i run a tech business and i had a brand design agency at the time um, which i eventually sold in 2009 so the tech department was alongside it and so a lot of my competitors in that space didn't know they knew about design graphic design marketing but they didn't know about the technology so what we did is we, we capitalized yes on our corporate relationships but then we we went to all of our competitors or my competitors in my previous brand agency and turned them into customers because they didn't have the internal tech department that we could offer that my business had so that's had a great idea so this is advice that i often give startups that i work with it's like look at the assets you have like you're going to mm -hmm. pivot now where can you go who are the people who can become your clients? Are they your existing clients? Can you serve them something that they actually need now that they don't really need the first product you tried? Or are the other people in your network, in your case, all you know, you're a designer, you know, all these design firms, and they became your clients. So you you became their outsourced tech department. Exactly that. And so, and then we built a real reputation in in, in London as like the guys to go to if you've got a crazy idea that you don't know how you're gonna do it. And these dudes are just stupid enough to take it on. <laughs> and that was kind of our, our thing. And that is fun. It was, and we had this amazing period of growth and uh, very profitable. And we were sort of uh, all fly, flying to conferences all over the world that we were putting on events and we were winning business and we were winning awards. And personally, I'd, I'd been a, awarded um, a, or listed as kind of one of the top 25 innovators in Europe, Middle East and Asia. So and it was all going amazing. And what then, was your what was your model? First of all, before we get to and then, yeah. <laughs> so you're you're doing really well. Is your model to take equity in their crazy ideas, or is it to get paid to deliver the products? It was always being paid to deliver the products. Okay, we actually had a little side thing where we were taking equity in startups, and it never really worked out. Um, it always ended up being a kind of the equity didn't end up being worth anything. It's really tough. It shows you well, when you start yeah. doing that, when you start taking equity in different startups, you realize how hard it is to be a startup. Because uh, yeah, you I'm... don't know until you, you know, you, we only know our personal experiences, how tough it is. But if you work with enough startups, you suddenly think this isn't easy for anybody. And yeah, it was kind of it was it was kind of a good conceptually it worked and then it just didn't work practically. It wasn't good for the startup. It wasn't I, good for I us. seldom. Uh, hear of service providers that are very successful at taking equity in startups. They don't know right. it's hard to pick the right startups because mm. it's hard to find the match between uh, the startup that will come to you and give you equity for service as opposed to the startup you would have invested in, which a lot of times isn't the one who would give you the equity for service. Exactly that. And, 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 it, and it ends up being a weird re relationship where the founder, listen, founders are really good at being persuasive. And if you have a, a share in a business, you have a kind of, you know, there's a, there's a relationship there that is different to a, a vendor and a, and a client, and a, a service provider. And you know and you what? Have, they will keep asking you for more. They of will course. keep. And it's, it's, it's like death by a thousand cuts from our point of view. I know. And, the, and, and if soon as you say no to something, then the relationship starts to, to unravel. And, and, become, and it just doesn't work. Like that, it doesn't work for the founder because all that happens is they get a crappy service. And then all that happens is because the economics don't work because the service provider has to pay their team. Right. And, and if they keep, uh, if it's sort of an all you can eat plan, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. they end up eating you alive. Exactly. <laughs> and, eat and the it, entire service provider. And it's, and it's no, and nobody intends that to happen, but in the cut and thrust of a startup, when there's a, the adrenaline is pumping. 
So you're all like excited. Oh, I know, to I know. Because when a startup needs something, they need it and they'll yeah. do, you know, and they'll do practically anything to get it. So I, this is a lesson out there for other service providers who do mm. take equity. It's not easy. And the hardest part is not technically like you can do it um, and they'll be in the startup will be happy that you do it for equity. But then what happens when you don't want to do something when they need more and more and more and more? And where do you draw the line? How do you do it? really, really tough? And then those relationships break off and be, it it's, can become very acrimonious. Yeah. And, and, and it's really hard. And, and, and especially as you're, as you're talking, it really reminds me that the, the problem with uh, a lot of tech startups and actually technology in general is, is it's always something else you could do. And it's like a kind of mirage. Oh yeah, like when you, it never when you, ends. It, like, yeah. Because literally, if a product is not doing well, then you always have to change stuff. Like, oh, let's try this, let's try this. Oh, this isn't working, let's try this. Endless stream. And then if it's working well, well, we need to scale, we need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and there's always something else. And, and in some ways it becomes a bit of a, a, it can become a red herring too. Like the technology isn't necessarily the, always the thing that has to shift. It's the easiest thing to point out and say, if only we had this feature, then sales would be skyrocketing. Right. And it's everything. Then everything that survival of the startup depends on that next feature. And we know, having been in this business long enough, that adding features to a failing product seldom makes a difference. So then you get and caught in this trap where they literally should be pivoting. But because they have you, the unlimited service provider, they are just... they endlessly wild feature. I did it as a CEO. Like I like knew that like our product wasn't working. Well, what feature can we add? What can we change? What, and it made no difference. Yeah. And, and, I, and, what's, and I think there's the lesson in that. And, and by the way, this is a lesson I took from my blow up experience, which we can get onto, is that the often the technology shouldn't be the starting point of the conversation. If with call it a new feature or, or a new product or a new service. The actually the, the start of the conversation should be deeper. It should be what's the improvement we're trying to make for our customer or for our business. That, that's the primary thing to focus on. Because if, if you haven't got clarity on why you're doing something, really why, what's it going to add in value? That all you're going to do is, like you say, iterate on something that's failing. Yes. And and so so and again, it's so He's in the well world said. of in the world of tech, the problem is we're all really into the tech. And so no one stops and says, whoa, whoa, hang on. Should we even be deploying this thing? Like, right. why, it, why it, are we there? It? Does, is a customer asking for this technology or do we just think this will make all the difference with no proof whatsoever? Yeah, and exactly. Usually it's the latter case. Like we're like, yeah. if we just had this latest tech, if we just integrated with that, if we did with this, that will transform our product, we'll be the market leader. Yeah, it's, it's a line I always go back to is, is Peter Thiel's, a quote from Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One, where he says, properly understood, any new and better way of doing things is technology. And, I, and I, what I read took from that was really the code isn't the technology, the hardware isn't the technology, the, the, the way of thinking, the, a mindset can be a form of technology. And so actually, if you think about it a little bit deeper, you can work on yourself in a way that it can improve your business and add value to your customer, but doesn't actually need to plug in new widgets and features onto your product. You know, that's a kind of, it may be, but don't automatically just zoom into adding new stuff. Yeah, which a lot of people do, especially engineers. They are, yeah, well, <laughs> because they, they understand it, they love it. They love the latest tech. Listen, I mean, I, I, my company, we have a lot of engineers and the answer to every problem is more engineering. <laughs> and you're like, that's more money out of my pocket. So yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, exactly. So, so you were, uh, you know, 
that you were doing great. Like you're winning all these awards, you had happy customers, the business was growing, and all of a sudden something changes. What changed that caused you to blow up your business and not blow it up in a good way? Yeah, well, we, we so so the so we were flying, and this is the and then sort of moment. And then it started to go. In fact, we'd just been in South by Southwest and we'd been hosting some events on, on, on the invitation of the British government. And it was all going great. And I'd just been in Toronto doing a workshop with some dudes. And I come back and it was the sales were a bit low, but it was a cyclical thing, I was told. And then the next month, the sales were a bit low, lower and then lower again. And, and then basically we turned into this steep ascent in the, uh, at the end of 2016. And then we started, started the descent down the mountain in sort of um, So May. what changed? You were, you were ascending, what changed? What well, what it, thing changed? I, I tell you, bad management, right? That's you, you baby, that's you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> What did you do wrong? <laughs> well, <laughs> when I look back, it was, it was very simple. You're very management. humble, by the way. <laughs> Hey, listen, it is what it Most is. Most people don't want to point to themselves. They'll say something else. I, do you know what? I, I, I had a whole series of numbers in a spreadsheet that were, were telling me I wasn't very good at this. Right. <laughs> so these numbers were saying you're not. I was like, why you're spending more than you're bringing in? Is that? The oh, thing? Well, I was just hemorrhaging cash, and so 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 I, it doesn't matter how, how how my ego says I'm a brilliant entrepreneur. The cash flow sheet says, no, Dan, you're not a great entrepreneur. You messed it up. And, and in fact, do you know what? The, 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 See, I, we I, love I, to have entrepreneurs like you on the show, totally honest, humble people who actually learn something and can share it. So you saw the numbers. You, so why were you bad? Like, you, you, okay, apparently the numbers said you were bad, but what were you doing that was wrong? I, let me tell you. So we had, um, so we've been working for all these big companies doing these innovation projects, which were very fashionable at, at the time. And, and people were spending a lot of money on at the time, but kind of new technology uh, world first, that kind of thing. And into 2017, we would post the Brexit vote and people were a little bit nervous because they didn't know what the future was going to hold for them. So the, the, not our customers, but the customer's boss was suddenly looking at the line item for this new improved app for the thing they were doing and going, okay, how, why is this different to the old app? And our client would go, oh, well, it's really great because we've got a 3D modeled logo on the homepage you know, kind of thing. You know, it was like some bullshit that was cool, but not exactly essential. And the CFO or the financial director would just throw it back at them and say, hey, listen, we're not spending the money. So then our sales pipeline became this sort of froth that had no substance to it. Now, by the way, there was a whole bunch of other stuff that was to do with me, my um kind of perhaps disconnecting from some of the management principles that i should have been holding dear and what were those what what were the management mistakes you made i i, I there were some straws in the wind i would say that some customers weren't really happy some staff issues and i'd had a team of a management team a managing director our ceo we had a management team a managing director people responsible for all that and i was like look that's your job you guys do it which is what a lot of people say you should do you know delegate exactly but I knew, I knew that there was some problems there, but I didn't want to go there. And, you know, looking back, being kind to myself, I'd had some issues with um, my mental health I was struggling with. I'd had some, I had a challenging period in the business and it was going really well. I was trying to give myself a break and I was trying to delegate. Now, there's a line, um, uh, Jim Collins, uh, who wrote Good to Great, says that, that you should be micro aware, but not micromanage. Yes. Right? Now, I, well, I wasn't micro aware, 
<laughs> I so, wasn't micromanaging. I was just, I was just sort of getting the gist and I didn't go, I didn't explore, get to the root of the problem. This, this is the thing about delegating. So this is what my experience too has been. It's good to delegate tasks, but when it comes to human beings and relationships with people, uh, you cannot expect delegation to work because if you know there's a problem in those relationships, simply delegating it means you're walking away. You're ignoring the problem. You're not fixing the problem. So delegation works when it's like a, a task that they have to get done. You don't want to micromanage them and you know get in their business. You want to let them do it and give them feedback and guidance, but not try to control them. But when it comes to these relationships, whether like you said, with customers or internally in your company, if you just say, oh, those people will handle them, but clearly you are aware at some level that those weren't working, yeah. that is the time you have to step in because if you don't, those things fester. And I'm sure that's what was happening. Yeah, so what happened between a number of factors, but let's call it bad management, and then the sort of nervousness in the market. And yeah. then really the whole, um, the, the sales pipeline became this sort of, like I say, froth on top of the coffee. There was nothing to it. There's no substance. And then we- Because uh, you thought you had these deals and they just weren't there. Yeah, they, they took, and then-, and then the So you wanted was, to believe it looked like you had these deals and you're like, great, we have all these things coming in, but they really weren't coming. Yes. And, and then they got pushed back and then it never really happened. And then the cost base was still the cost base. And then the sales just weren't coming in. And, oh, so then you started getting so the really thing, murdered. Yes. Yeah. We just got hammered and um, we had to make some redundancies or quite a significant redundancy. Uh, we were a team of 25 people. We went down to a team of 15. And and what was your revenue? How, um, how much did it decline? Oh, uh, we, I think um, over 50%. Okay. That's brutal. Yeah. And so in fact, our, our worst case scenario forecast for the summer. So this is June. We said, okay, worst, worst, cast, worst, worst case forecast for the summer. And we got a number and it turned out that the, the exact, this was supposed to be the worst case scenario. We reduced the cost to meet that, that figure. And the actual figure was 50% less than the worst case scenario. Oh, so it was really a lot, even more. <laughs> you guys oh, it, oh, we got hammered. And so, so, so this is, so I got to the end of 20, oh, sort of so, oh, September, uh, sort of, so yeah, like September time, October time, 2017, we had, I mean, a lot of money had disappeared. This was not money that was in the bank account. We had personally, my business partner and I had to put in a significant six figure sum into the business to keep it going. And there was no guarantee we were going to get that back or even make the end of the month. Right. And then there was actually, it was, what was quite funny is everything went wrong at once. Like we got evicted from our office. There was whole loads of like every day, something really bad happened. Like not a little bit bad, but like really, really bad. And, and, it, and I think it, it was kind of like, uh, it, it, so it was a, the universe was telling me, Dan, you need to kind of rethink this. You know, you are under huge pressure. Was your, you know, personal relationships, were they suffering? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I was um, drinking because of the stress and I was being, uh, to put it bluntly, a bit of an asshole. And my wife uh, and I were not getting on. And uh, yeah, it was really challenging. And, and for what it's worth, my business partner, uh, his wife had been very poorly with a, a mental illness. She attempted a, a suicide at oh. that time. Um, so, so, so you, you could not, if you could think of the world's most stressful things to happen simultaneously, that was my life. And the second, were you getting along with your partner? Me? No, we had, it was like a whole, uh, uh, the, the real, the real story is the most likely outcome of 
September, October 2017, was a single homeless bankrupt Dan. Really? That, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like on the knife edge and, and leaning over. And so many founders, you know, when they hit hard times, they, I'm, they can relate to these stories. I mean, they suffer depression. They do things that they sabotage themselves. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That was all that. Yeah. And I mean, it, I, I went to the rock. I, I, it, was, it was really a dark time. And to, you, to the point of like, now, here's the thing. The lesson for me was I took my ego needed to crack open. And it took that sequence of events for me to crack my walnut shell head ego open to actually open up a little bit more and perhaps think perhaps I'm not the answer to all of the world's problems. And perhaps I need to be a little bit more grounded and perhaps more open to um, learn on a deeper level as opposed to a technical level or a skill level to grow as a human being, not just a professional. And it's funny, there's, there's, um, I, I read a lot, I read a lot. And there was a book I was reading at the time uh, by Jocko Willink, who's a quite famous podcaster now, ex-US Navy SEAL, called Extreme Ownership. I read it. And Jocko says, whatever happens, it's your fault. And I'd read this book and I kind of really liked this book and I liked the idea of a big rough, tough US Navy SEAL. And then all this stuff happened to me. And I had Jocko Willink on my shelf looking at me going, hey, Dan, it's your fault. You own it. <laughs> yeah. So literally it was Jocko got me to kind of in all of that to suck it all up and go, look, I can blame a lot of people for what went down. Right. Um, but there's only one person at the helm and that was me. And if I was absent at the helm, which I, I think I was really, that's why the whole thing went wrong. So that blow up experience was a formative, a really important moment for me. I can, it's five years on, it's literally five years this month uh, when it, we was, it was apparent it was going really wrong. And five, so we've turned that business around it. We saved the business, we turned it around. We, so we re I have to ask you, with your partner, are you still partners with that person? Oh, sorry, when I say partner, my business partner, yeah. I was getting on, actually, funnily enough, I always got on with my business partner, my, my personal life partner, I wasn't getting on with. Oh, your personal, okay, I thought it was your oh, right, business yeah. Let me clarify, let me clarify. Yeah, my business partner, yeah, he, he, Rick and I have actually had a great relationship all the way through. Even through all that hell, that's Oh, yeah, unusual. yeah, we were, we were, yeah. we were like, um, we've had like, yeah, I mean, I don't know why, we very intuitively work well together. So my, my I was I was getting my, my wife's nerves. <laughs> yeah, my business partner, not so much. Did, did you we, manage to mend fences with your wife? Yes, well, I'm still married to her. Well, our relationship's better than ever. I've got, I'm a I'm a much better father, husband, friend, a biz, a boss. Uh, I hope business partner too. So and the big yeah. lesson you learned was to own it. Are there any other lessons that you learned that really helped you transform yourself and your business at this low point? Yeah, um, it was actually, and um, we we touched on the point earlier about the technology and all the improvement you make. And then there was um, in the summer before it really played out, I kind of realized actually that there was a fundamental strategic problem with my business model. And the problem was that <clears throat> I was going in trying to sell a lot of technology to our clients, but I wasn't trying to improve their business. Now, right. So you would sell them this technology, but it didn't really translate into something that, that made a big difference in their business. So they were not necessarily satisfied with what they ended well, up getting. 
Well, I, well, well, it's funny because it, when you're talking to a corporate, there's tiers of people. A lot of people were satisfied, but the people that mattered, the people that wrote the check, ah. they weren't satisfied. Right. So, so, so it was kind of like, and also I realized it's like, it's like eating Big Macs all the time. It kind of tastes good. And then you're kind of sick of it. Right. So I was doing all this some really interesting work for these big companies and it was kind of fun, but ultimately what was the point? Yeah. Not only were we easy to sack because we weren't strategically very important, we were doing something that fundamentally felt a bit hollow. And in the middle of the, the sort of summer of 2017, when it was really all collapsing around me and before it got really dark, I just thought, I had this moment of clarity. I said, look, we're just focused on the wrong thing. If we focus our business on creating improvement, measurable improvement, impact that we can quantify for our clients, and we create a system that delivers that, um, that's better than the alternative, which is what's created this situation. So, so it's, and it's funny because I can pinpoint it literally to a moment and it was very intuitive and it was just, I took the decision and just ran with it because my business partner was busy with his wife who was, who was sick. I said, right, we're gonna, and we created a process which we called the tech bootcamp or the tech bootcamp. And this process is a way of ensuring we create improvement when we work with a client. And what we do now is we work with startups as a kind of plug-in tech team. So we work with founders and say, okay, where are you trying to head to? We call it a North Star. Why, why are you doing this thing even? Like, and then we work out how you can get there as this plug-in team. But instead of us trying to do the most complex, technically advanced, latest thing using blockchain or whatever thing, we go, okay, what's the shortest, smallest bootcamp we can run to test the hypothesis that your business is trying to work out? Which is really what startups should be doing. Yeah, and, and but people don't. Oh, I know. I see it all the time. I'm I work with these startups all the time and I'm like, why are you using that technology? And they're and maybe it's the blockchain, like you said. And they're like, well, because we can get funded. Like it's yes. the blockchain. And I'm like, but what does it actually do for you? Does it actually change anything? And they they can't answer that question. That and happens that, so many times. And this is and this is kind of so the, so the, I had several breakthroughs um in that year one of them was on really what's transformed my business which was the the simple insight if you focus on the improvement and the purpose of the technology that's more important at the very initial beginning than the technology itself right and then what's the simplest technology you can use to to get there to get your answers exactly that. So, so you're on the right path that's so, uh, that's that's really good now i want to also know on a personal level uh, how did you change yourself? Did you, you know, did you stop drinking? Did you, you know, take uh, antidepressants to get over your depression? <laughs> what, you know, what did you, or did you do meditation? What did you do to get out of that pit? Yeah, well, well it's, it's a great question. And actually, that's one of the things that really has, tr I've transformed in that last five years. Yeah, stop drinking. <laughs> and I'd, I had an issue just with um, my mental health prior to that, like I, I'd had, I was diagnosed with depression about eight or nine a years ago. A lot of ago. people have it. A lot of CEOs have it, you know, yeah, it's a lot tons. of people. And, and I'll tell you for what, and that's a depression. What is it even is that? It's a name, it's a label that's put onto a set of, of things. Now for me, I, I'm not a professional. I, I can't speak on behalf of anybody else, but for me, my depression was actually a series of internal dialogues that were pushed me into a hole. <laughs> Right. And very unrelenting self-criticism and um, a philosophy which was a bit, uh, I wouldn't say nihilistic too strong, but a bit kind of running too hard on too many, too many angles, you know, working hard, playing hard. You know, that's the kind of thing. And then not hot, not being kind to myself when I needed to break or whatever. 
And so what, what was forced to do in that moment was to sort of stop, pause, reflect, and think about on a very deep level, what was my philosophy of life? Okay, now that sounds a bit highfalutin, like a no, kind it's of- really important, but because I, you don't believe in what you're doing. And if you have that negative dialogue going on in your head constantly, it can totally drain you and make you make the wrong decision. So what did you come to? Yeah, what well, was I, I your philosophy? Of, well, I read a lot. <laughs> I read a lot and soaked in a lot of information from a lot of different people. And so, and then I, uh, I, I worked on my mental health by meditation. Yes, meditation. I have a very um, um, disciplined now um, journaling and meditation practice in the mornings. Mm. Also, so when do you wake up? How early? Um, I probably, I'm not really super early, like 6.30 a.m., maybe 7 a.m. I just wake up when I wake up. I don't start my alarm. And I then do some yoga. I do some meditation. I do some journaling. And I maybe do a little bit of a workout just to get my blood going. And that takes me like, you know, 90 minutes kind of thing. And that's, but if I don't do that, my brain's all over the place. And I'm kind of like, I run out a thousand miles an hour. So I need to calm my chimp mm. monkey mind that's going crazy. And that helps me make better decisions. And what is your philosophy? What philosophy, do you, the, your philosophy prior and post uh, the disaster? Um, well, philosophy prior, let me think about that. I think it was more ego led, right? And by that, I mean, my identity was wrapped up in the success of the business. I thought I was the solution to all And the therefore you were the problem if it didn't work out. Absolutely. And, and, and what I realized was it wasn't about me so much as about me, um, perhaps having a more genuine sense of service to other people. Okay. And not being, I, the world should revolve around me. Perhaps I revolve <laughs> around everybody else. Maybe I serve my, my wife and my children and my, my staff and my business partner and my customers, but genuinely as a first principle and to be grounded and calm and present and not be perhaps um, un dissatisfied because I don't have the particular specification vacation lined up or car on the on the driveway or what have you the kind of infinite hedonic treadmill of trying to kind of get more and more and more perhaps just live in a state of gratitude about hey i'm i'm fit and healthy and i'm i'm, I'm i've got a great uh, uh people around me and i can do some great stuff and that's a, a good thing so it's a kind of reorientation of of life as a whole and so by taking that basic principle into my business, then my business genuinely, and not just because I feel like it, but the, the, the processes within the business are designed to serve the genuine interests of our, our startup founders that we work with. And they then can grow their startup, which is, a, as we've said, a difficult path. And we serve them. And then there's, there's a win-win because I then get the, the, the sort of ongoing relationship and the ongoing investment and our company is doing better than ever. In fact, this last quarter, we've had the best performance in sales than the previous five years. It was like five or six years ago, we had a previous uh, least similarly successful quarter. And that's, that's like a rebirth of this company that, that was, you know, it's taken a long time to get it right. And there was a pandemic in the way that kind of sort of put us on a back, on a back foot for a year or so, but it's been a really um, genuinely transformative experience. I want you to let the audience know how they can find you. Well, if you search on, well, if you're on Twitter to at the Dan Kirby, T-H-E Dan Kirby, the Dan Kirby, there's only one Dan Kirby, the Dan Kirby. I'm also on Instagram, the same handle. You can find me on LinkedIn. 
Um, but check out our podcast, Honey, I Blow Up the Business. It's a real passion project for me. Uh, we've been doing it for just over a year. Uh, in fact, within the first 48 hours, we got to number two in the entrepreneurship charts in the UK on Apple Podcasts. So there's a real appetite for these stories. And we've had, you know, like I say, great. Uh, we put a, a, an episode out every other week. Uh, really great open conversations. So if you like the sound of that, check us out and, and please connect with me on social media. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.